The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is the newscast for episode 206 uh, for the week of, was it April, uh, no, 12th? Yeah, 12th. 12th. April 12th. April 12th. Yeah. This is, this is very difficult. It's right in front of me now, but I, I still struggled through that. So we'll, we'll keep it. Rob, uh, you're unemployed and clearly as soon as you become un- unemployed, your life falls apart. Can't even yeah, they, think they, of what day it is. They say once you retire, you know, you, if you don't keep your mind engaged, you, you go pretty quickly. I didn't, I didn't expect it would be less than 24 hours before the mind went, but, but there you go. Yeah. So, uh, so congratulations, I, I suppose on, uh, being purposefully unemployed. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was actually, you know, uh, super challenging to walk away yesterday at the end of a, a very, uh, just like the highlight of my career, getting to be the CISO over at Ping. And I'm excited to get to take some time with my family over the summer before starting something new. Uh, but it, you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be so difficult at the end and it was, and you know, I'm going to miss the team, miss the people over there. Uh, don't regret the decision, but I do, I do definitely, uh, I know, I know I'm going to regret it and, or seem not regret it, but I'm going to miss it. And, um, certainly uh, wish the best for all those folks. Yeah. Well, congrats. You deserve some time off. So uh, hopefully you get a little bit here. Well, thank you. Hey, why don't we go through some housekeeping before we jump into the news? We have a Slack channel with well over 1,800 of our closest security friends in Colorado. If you want to jump into the conversation, the many, many conversations going on there, you can do so by going to colorado-security.com and clicking on the Slack button there. That'll bring you into the Slack channel. I feel like we're uh, really close to 1900. I don't remember the last time I looked at the number, but um, I think we're getting close. Anyway, at this point, it's really 2000 we've got to be aiming for. That's That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, Rob, we also have a mailing list. Uh, If you go to the website, colorado-security.com, we have a form you can fill out and give us your email address. We will send you one email every week with the show notes. Also, if you'd like to rate us and subscribe to the podcast, that would be awesome. That way you get it delivered to your podcast player every week. And uh, we also get better ratings, hopefully, and uh, people uh, get to know how good the podcast is. Uh, There's a couple other things you could do if you want to help out the show. We'd love it if you tell a friend, help us get uh, new members of this great community we're a part of. Um, And if you want to financially support us, we would love if you'd get involved with our Patreon campaign. Uh, Just we have a a great group of folks who are helping financially support the community and you know pay the costs of hosting and other stuff associated with the the podcast. Um, and speaking of that, we actually have a new patron this week. We do, Cameron Williams. Thank you very much, uh, Cam. At, you guys may know was one of the uh, founders of Overwatch ID. You know they were acquired by by SailPoint a couple of years ago, um, but you know we're a great Denver startup here, and uh, and he signed up for the the ten dollar a month level so he gets a shout out on the show but you know also did uh did it annually so paid it all up front which is pretty cool uh cam also has got i think a new startup in the works that he's uh he's getting going i think gonna hear some more about that soon so did we get some of that sweet sweet sale point money is that is that what he shipped over to us i assume so that's awesome well thanks cam we appreciate you very much and of course we want to hear about the new the new business as it gets going yeah. So let's jump into the news. Um, Rob, big, big news this week. Uh, Denver is going to be hosting Major League Baseball's All-Star Game this year at Coors Field. Yeah. Uh, in this case, it looks like Georgia's loss is Colorado's gain, and we're going to get to have the game here. You know, I'm a pretty big baseball fan, and uh, 
and I, it occurred to me that based the all-star game has not been in Colorado since I moved here. I moved in 2001. Um, and I think the last time it was here was like 97 or nine, 98 or something like that. It's been a long yeah. time. It has been a long time. Um, I, I think the only thing better that could have happened from this is if the all-star game was originally supposed to be in Austin and then got <laughs> moved here. Um, but, uh, but I, I'm pretty excited about it too. I'm, I'm a baseball fan and I've never been to an all-star game. So maybe I'll see if I can find a way to, to sneak into some of those festivities. Yeah. I've, I've got the chance to, to go to a, a home run derby and that's, that's an awfully fun time. And I, I think in Colorado, having the home run competition would be, would be even more fun. There'll be some big, big home runs hit here. Yeah. I mean, it might not ever end. Um, <laughs> I, I think that they'll just keep hitting them and hitting them. Yeah. They, they get tired after a while. So it'll, it'll be a question yeah, of stamina true. at some point. Yeah. Uh, I, in the article, they, they do mention that there will obviously be some uh, financial impact positively here in Colorado from the All-Star Game being here. I think there, the original first estimate was about $100 million in benefit, but I, I have since seen some uh, people poo-pooing that, that maybe it's not quite that much. You know, $100 million, $80 million, whatever the number is, uh, I'm excited that Colorado gets to have it, especially, you know, it, it, the impact is going to go to one of the most negatively impacted sectors uh, from the, from the pandemic, you know, the hospitality restaurants, hotels, that sure. whole, that whole industry that's been just so badly beaten up. It's really nice to see a, a shot in the arm for, for us in that area, even if it's not a hundred million, uh, whatever it is, I'm sure they'll, they'll definitely appreciate. I agree. All right. Well, that is a, that is that story. The next story is, is an interesting one. We've been keeping tabs on for a few years. Um, it, this is around the idea of having a front range passenger train system. Um, and it looks like there's actually a new Senate bill um, that's, that's going through that might actually bring this into fruition. Yeah. So uh, I think we can just keep getting uh, closer and closer. I think the last time we talked about this story, they were maybe commissioning another um, study to make sure mm -hmm. that it was going to be feasible for the front range. But now they're looking to through this bill to create a, a new taxing district that essentially is you know, around I-25 North and South uh, in Colorado that the they would be able to use to generate money to then go ahead and build this uh, commuter rail line. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we've talked about it before. We we think it'd be great to actually have a, a, a train that goes all the way down from, the, you know, Pueblo up to Fort Collins. That That is basically the vision here for this um, this this bill and it looks like it's got the support necessary to pass. You know, we'll, we'll definitely update you guys when it, it does or does not pass. But you know, we're we're right in the middle of the the session right now. Well, we should have some news pretty soon. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think the other thing you know they mentioned that uh, President Biden has uh, potentially some money earmarked in the you know the infrastructure plan that he has. I think they said you know up to eighty billion dollars for uh, for rail. And some of that could also go uh, through Amtrak to that that front range uh, rail project too. So that would be pretty cool and uh, another shot in the arm for it. Yeah, good so, stuff. Yep. Uh, next, we have a story um, that it's a little bit, I don't want to call it out of the norm for us, but it's um, it, it's technology related. But they're the uh, local company Outrider, which is a, a pioneer in autonomous yard operations. And when, when you think about that, when I, I first started reading this, I thought, or are they, you know, making, you know, automatic lawnmowers or something like that? But no, no, no. They're talking about uh, like shipping yards. Um, and uh, they they're in a, a partnership with another company called Right Height, um, who also does uh, similar type things to help uh, make these autonomous yards even more autonomous. 
So this basically is like the internet of things for, uh, for industry. This is industry IOT that for industries I had never really thought of. Is that, is that a decent summary for what we're looking at here? Yeah, I think so. So, you know, one of the things they talk about is, um, you know, if you're in a shipping yard, you've got trucks that come in with trailers and you park them someplace and they get loaded and unloaded and maybe they need to get moved and, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, these devices from Outrider help with that, the logistics of it, and actually moving things around to different places. And, and so they have a partnership here uh, that's going to to basically help uh, make the technology better, better coverage across different industries. Is that, is that what the announcement here is? I think some of it, but I think also... Um, Right height does a little bit of a of a different piece of the puzzle than Outrider does. So, um, you know, Outrider has sort of the more uh, autonomous operations piece, and uh, Right height deals with like the the loading dock equipment and other in- industrial solutions like that. So, working together, they can really uh, help make these yard operations more automatic and autonomous. I say one of the things I love about the the news part of the show is I learn about all these companies in town that I had never heard of and and frankly probably never would have heard of without this podcast and this is one of them. <laughs> this is yeah. definitely one of them. I, I can't say I've ever really thought about yard operations before. <laughs> all right, good stuff. Uh, moving over, uh, this one's a, a more a, cl- a little closer to home for us. This is a uh, a a services software organization. I guess really um, focused more on outsourcing. Uh, a place called Velocity Global. It's a Denver headquartered company that um, just raised a hundred million dollars and they're going to be passing a, a billion dollars in revenue. And I had never heard of them before this article. This one's really interesting to me. Yeah, I hadn't heard of them either. And you know what they do is actually really simple, but I think it's it's something that it, it seems brilliant. Um, so if you are trying to set up operations somewhere else, um, I think that could be in another state or another country. Um, but you don't want to actually, um, you know, put it a, you know, set up an incorporation there and, you know, have to do all those things, you know, they will essentially do that for you and they can, uh, they will hire the employees to work for them, even though they're actually working for you. So they do that sort of back end business piece. So you don't have to worry about your business operations in that particular area where you're, you want to hire people. Yeah. And they've only been around, was it, I think it was 2014. Uh, yeah, founded in 2014, and they're already going to be passing a billion dollars. And it's really a, a lot of mind-blowing stuff as a part of this article. It really surprised me. Um, they they were bootstrapped all the way up until this $100 million uh, round of investment that they took. They're calling it partnering. And basically, they've, they've chosen to take in a partner because they wanted to make an acquisition, and they acquired uh, one of the other big players in this space called iWork Global. Um, and, and basically the idea is that this is going to push them, you know, just to be bigger, do it at bigger scale and, and really seize this opportunity of the market they're creating. Yeah. Um, sort of like yard operations. This is something that I had not thought of previously, but seems like it's a, a pretty good market to be in. Yeah. This one, this one really interesting to me. So velocity global, I'm looking forward to, to meeting those folks and maybe there'll be a, maybe there'll be an interest, interesting story. We can get on the show later about these guys. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Colorado companies, uh, the startup CloudRise has moved their headquarters from Denver to Grand Junction. Um, I think this is maybe the first time I have heard of a, a company, uh, also a cybersecurity company, moving their headquarters to Grand Junction. So that's pretty yeah. cool. So we picked this one, um, you know, and I didn't know much about it before you know, starting to read it for the show prep. And 
you know, it said cybersecurity firm. I'm like, oh, CloudRise, I, didn't, I wouldn't have guessed. And then you open it and there's a big picture of our friend, Rob Egebrecht, who was one of the founders of BEW Global, now IntelliSecure, now what? Now they're part of uh, uh, Proofpoint. Yes. Um, so so Rob, we've had on the show in the past and, uh, in, or maybe not on the show, but I interviewed him maybe for my, my blog before we started the show. Um, anyway, he's, a, he's the CEO and founder of this new company and, and I had never heard of it. And so I'm super glad that we came across this article. Yeah, um, I, I believe I had heard of the name before, but I hadn't really known much about them. Um, and it, it sounds like they're, you know, a uh, partially a services company, but also a little bit of a software company trying to to automate some of the pieces around um, cloud security, which is pretty cool. Um, it also, you know, good uh, some uh, good quotes here from Rob in, in the article talking about, uh, you know, the opportunity to move to Grand Junction. Um, you know, part of it was there some uh, economic incentives for them to move there. Uh, but also Rob said that uh, because of his love of mountain biking, you know, he thought it would be cool to live in Grand Junction where there apparently is a lot of uh, mountain biking. Yeah, it seems to me like he justified his his desire to mountain bike in Grand Junction by coming up with a business. That's, that's hey, what which is which is awesome. That's, well, that's if, fantastic. If you're going to start a new business, you may as well do it where you want to where you want to yeah. do it. Pick, pick it where you want to be. Uh, in terms of what they do, you know, as I read through this, it, it feels to me like, you know, like Rob, if you know the uh, the history of BEW Global, they were, you know, a, a, a DLP provider, basically a, a managed service provider who um, who helped manage your your Vontu or your WebSense or whatever other DLP. I think that they, he, you know, that's the, the problem space he knows best. You know, he's looking at how do I solve that same type of a problem with the new, you know, cloud dynamic. Um, you know, it looks like they're also going to be creating some uh some of their own coding to help customers do better. But my guess is that they're they're going to be using some existing tools to help customers solve these problems. And certainly a space he knows well from his his time over there at IntelliSecure. So this is this is going to be an interesting company to watch. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and of course, and then like you said, a Western Plains company, we we have very few of those. I can't think of any others off the top of my head. So, you know, certainly they'll be uh they'll be unique and, and worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, maybe it's the uh, the start of the renaissance of Grand Junction as a tech hub. I love it. All right. Uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, so the next article we have here um, is, is a deep dive into some of the details about the new data privacy bill here in Colorado. I think we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, but this goes just, ha- it's a an article in the Denver Business Journal. Um, and it's, it's getting into a, a little bit more of the detail around it and some of the detail around the folks who sponsored the bill and, uh, and then a little bit of analysis by some lawyers uh, looking at what the impact could be for Colorado companies. Yeah, one of those lawyers is uh, David Staus, who we've had on before and a friend of the show. Um, I think actually who we might try to get a new interview from here pretty soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, Colorado seems to be going down a, a similar path to California and Virginia and the other states that have uh, have passed new privacy laws. So um, I, I suppose good for us. I think this will um, be a good thing for consumers in Colorado. Uh, I think like many of the privacy bills that are are coming out today, it's you know uh, a little bit GDPR, a little bit CCPA, a little bit uh, everything else, and you know kind of making things similar but not exactly the same as uh, other privacy bills. Yeah, I mean, I think. The, the question for many companies is going to be, well, what's the impact to us? And, and you know, obviously, we're going to have to see 
what actually gets passed. But it looks like there will be some impact to companies who have Colorado data, you know, really understanding your data flows, being able to respect the rights of those consumers when they want to be forgotten, when they want to know what you have about them. Um, those are going to be impacts and it'll be interesting to, to see companies adapt and, and maybe have to change some business, business practices in order to comply. Yeah. And right now, the, the limits that they have are, you know, this is applicable to company a company that is a controller or a processor of personal data for 100,000 or more consumers um, or deriving revenue from the, the collection or sale of data of 25,000 or more. So, I mean, it, in terms of uh, who it's going to affect, you know, those numbers are, are fairly low. I think if you do uh, a decent amount of business, you're probably going to hit those numbers. And, and it is a very similar structure to what the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act did, uh, but it, but the numbers are, I think, are, are a little bit different, but similar structure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll have to see how that goes and look forward to hearing more about that. Uh, all right. Uh, next, we, uh, we heard about the uh, winners of AFSIA's Rocky Mountain Cyberspace Symposium Capture the Flag. So, uh, the, the there was an AFSIA conference, the cyber excuse me cyberspace symposium last month, um, and the NCC uh, along with that held its first high school only capture the flag competition. And as part of that, we've got an article here talking about the fact that uh, Pine Creek High School was the the one that won that competition. And there's a, a picture of the of the winning team out there. I love to see those those kids who who obviously worked super hard for this, and I'm sure they're they're very proud, and they should be very proud of what they've accomplished. I, I, it's funny because everyone is wearing masks. You know, it's pseudo anonymous, right? Uh, hard to tell who they are, except right. their, name, their names are right down below. But um, really cool to see, and it looks like you know, the intention is that there's going to be um, another competition coming up in September, and uh, and and you know, the, I know that. This is uh, something that NCC wants to keep doing and, and scaling out bigger and bigger. So I'm looking forward to seeing these impacts and maybe one of our kids will get involved, Alex. Maybe they will. Um, or, you know, we'll get to hear some uh, some other winners, hopefully in September. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Next article here is a, a blog post by Red Canary, uh, and they're re- announcing a new capability they have within their platform. Uh, you know, they automate is the platform that Red Canary has. It's about... Um, basically, obviously automating your response to different activities. And they've added some new capabilities underneath that, where uh, one of uh, you have two new features you can have automated. Number one is um, to ban IP, a bad IP address, or to the other one is to ban a bad domain name. And that's an, an integration that they have with Microsoft Defender, where I guess Microsoft Defender is probably providing these, these bad IPs. Is that how that works? Well, so I, basically what you can do is you come up with, uh, with something that is bad, um, could be through Defender on one of your endpoints, or it could be through something else, and then automate it with uh, with Red Canary, and then they send it to the network protection component in Defender, and so that spreads to all your endpoints, um, which is pretty cool. I actually didn't realize, I guess I probably should have, that uh, Defender for Endpoint had this network protection feature where you can add in your own uh, custom network indicators, whether they're domains or IP addresses or whatever. So it makes it a pretty easy way if you have a distributed workforce to uh, be able to to send those uh, ban lists to across all your endpoints. Yeah, one of the big challenges we have, you know, 
especially now that we've acknowledged we don't have you know, all our employees behind a single firewall is, is getting those network level controls pushed out to all your endpoints. And it sounds like a great way to do it. Um, like I said, at an automated fashion and, and making sure everyone's up to, up to date and, and kind of synced up across the organization. Sounds like a pretty cool thing. Yeah. I, I mean, it's been pretty cool to see uh, the Microsoft products continue to evolve to and add more and more features like this. Yep. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Uh, next, uh, we've got a blog from uh, Coalfire talking more about the ISO 27701 uh, certifications. So some of this article is talking about uh, the their accreditation, which we, we talked about uh, last week or maybe the week before, um, how they're now accredited with multiple different organizations to uh, certify people for this new uh, ISO certification, which is based on privacy. But also, um, you know, talking through a little bit with the journey of um, this getting released and, and market demand for it and things like that, um, you know, basically saying prior to ISO 27701 being released, you know, if you were trying to certify someone, you know, for their privacy practices, it was essentially, you know, making it up on your own um, for what you felt like best practices were. And then, you know, an auditor attesting that you're, you're meeting those best practices. So um, it, it seems like there has been pretty good demand for uh, more forward privacy thinking companies um, that want to show that they are meeting a privacy standard uh, and want to get certified. Yeah. I mean, we certainly didn't plan it this way, but you know, we did just stop talking about a privacy law going to place in Colorado and, you know, there's dozens or hundreds of other privacy laws around the globe that are going into effect. And, and, and really there is not a great universally acknowledged standard, you know, ISO, ISO has a couple of different privacy focused standards, but you know, you got to choose what's going to be best for you. And, and it, it's just great to see more focus on creating a standard. And, and I think that's what coal fire is working on here. Um, really, really appreciate that. And um, obviously there's still work to do, but um, they're, they're moving in the right direction there. Definitely. All right. Final uh, story from the news this week, we have a, a blog by layers. Uh, this is Chris Nickerson's company. You know, we had Chris on the show, well, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and here he's yeah. talking about visibility within emails and macros and, um, and and really why this is so important. Yeah, so this is one of their uh, more technical blogs and they're actually uh, reviewing the uh, Splunk Microsoft Office 365 email add-on. So this is uh, the ability, I guess, for Splunk to pull more data than you can normally get through logs from Office 365 things like um, DKIM records and uh, SPF and other things like that, uh, as well as uh, if you have uh, macros that are embedded in emails and other things like that. So, you know, within Splunk, you can do threat hunting or do other things against that data uh, to help you figure out, you know, when someone is potentially doing a, a business email compromise or sending you malware or other things like that. Yeah, I think the metadata about your emails is probably something that we don't spend nearly enough time looking at as the security industry. And, and I think that this is a, a really nice intro to how one might do that and what kind of value you get out of, out of making that investment. Yeah, and I feel like some of that is historically been just because it hasn't been super easy, right? right. Um, you know, even with, with it running your own exchange servers, it's a pain to get those logs off of 365. Previously, it was... Um, you know, kind of a pain to do that. So you, you kind of relied on a, you know, a third-party provider, whether that's your Mimecast or Proofpoint or, you know, Microsoft's tools or, you know, whatever they might be to, to do this stuff for you. 
but it was kind of a black box. You just had to assume that they were doing doing the good stuff. So now it, it looks like you can get more detail and do some more threat hunting and, and do some of this uh, in your own team. Fantastic. Well, that is it for news. Why don't we uh, uh, jump over to upcoming events? Yeah, so we have some uh, good looking events coming up. Um, speaking of the Colorado Privacy Act, on the 13th of April, CTA is doing a Colorado Privacy Act webinar. Yeah, and learn a lot more about it there. It's probably a good idea to join that. Um, on the 14th, ISSA Denver has their April chapter meeting. On the 15th, ASIS is doing a Women in Security Coffee Chat with Katie Jump. On the 16th, there's a, a new group in town. Um, th so this is put together uh, by Dustin Lair, who's a member of the community, and, and he's really just getting a bunch of AppSec folks together to have uh, roundtable discussions. And this, this one on the 16th is called Put the Sec in DevOps, Security's Role in, so in, quality, excuse me, in Software Quality. I think the first meeting, they will uh, have to decide where do you put the second DevOps? Is it Sec DevOps? Is it DevSecOps? DevOpsSec? I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe, it's right. the, maybe it's silently hidden in there. Who knows? <laughs> yes, the, the Sec is silent. Yeah. Um, uh, on the 20th, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their April meeting. Uh, also on the 20th, CSA, the Cloud Security Alliance, is doing their April meeting. And fine, oh, no, we're not finally, sorry. Um, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their cyber focus days also starting on the 20th, but going to the 22nd. Yeah, it's a few day event down there. Um, it's one of their big events of the year. So if you're, if you're looking for some, some, some learning, that might be good to sign up for that. On the 21st, for 21st, 21st uh, OWASP is doing uh, the joint meeting. And, and you know during the pandemic, they've been doing a combined um, Denver and Boulder set of meetings. And so this is another combined meeting on the 21st. Right. And now, finally, uh, on the 21st through the 23rd, ISACA Denver is doing their April general meeting. Um, and yeah, it's, it's three days long and they say you can get up to nine hours of CPE. So if you're, if you're looking for some education and, and you're interested in the ISACA space, this is probably a really th good thing to join. I do feel like in like late, late March and sometime in February too, we didn't have a lot of events going on and people are making up for it now. April is, is very event heavy. A lot of stuff you can go do this month. Yeah, it's, uh, it's spring. People want to get out and do stuff and that includes virtual events. So all right, uh, let's move over to jobs. We've got a lot of great jobs this week, Rob, uh, starting with uh, our first job, which is the CISO for Holland and Hart. Yeah, James Johnson is a, you know, he's been on the show once or twice and he's, he's a friend of the community. He was a former president of ISSA Denver, just like you and I. Um, he has been the CISO at Holland and Hart for years. And he's, I think he's now the interim CIO and he's getting to hire a backfill as CISO. So if you're looking to, to, to have an opportunity to work for a very large prestigious law firm as their CISO, this is a good role for you. Yeah, sounds cool. Um, Lunchbox is hiring a VP of infrastructure and security. I don't know Lunchbox, but um, the, they it looked pretty cool just poking around on their website for a little bit. Yeah, I think that they make um, restaurant like menu apps and things like that. So that, that looked pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Alterix is hiring a manager of cybersecurity operations. Um, speaking of hard to say names, Nutanix is hiring a manager of security engineering. Common Spirit Health is looking for a privacy information security analyst to Workiva, another name that's hard to say, Workiva is hiring a cybersecurity compliance engineer. 
Uh, Ring Central is hiring a security engineer. Uh, Red Canary is hiring an information security specialist. McAfee is hiring a sales engineer for the West. And finally, Redwood, Redwood Trust is hiring an information security analyst. Very nice. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of the newscast. We do have a feature interview this week. Uh, we've got Josh Datko, who is the, uh, the founder of, oh, hold on, let me pull this up unless you have it ready to go. Founder of Cryptotronics. Uh, no. Cryptotronics. That I wanted to make sure I didn't miss a syllable there. Um, Jason Jake sat down with him. or something like that. Uh, Jason Jake sat down with him this week. I haven't listened yet. I'm excited to to hear what Josh is up to over there and uh, and get some more learning about local companies that I should probably know more about. Awesome. Sounds good. I look forward to it too. All right. Well, you guys have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rob. This is Sam Masiello, Chief Information Security Officer at Gates Corporation. This is Colorado Equal Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Hello, Colorado Equal Security. I'm Jason Jakes. My interview this week is with a security serial entrepreneur, Josh Datko. Josh is the founder of Cryptotronics, among other things. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Hey, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Jason. Let's start off. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of interesting things we can get into here, um, but let's, let's start off with some background. Where are you from? Yeah, so originally I'm a, one of these uh, you know, horrible Colorado transplants. Uh, sure. So I've come from uh, we all the East are. Coast, though. So it's the right coast, at least. It's not the okay. left coast. It's the right coast. And uh, so uh, Philadelphia. So I, I grew up uh, around Philadelphia. Uh, then, uh, I was in the, joined, I was in the Naval Academy. So Naval Academy is also on the East coast in Annapolis, Maryland. Yeah. And then, um, I was 10 years in the Navy and most of it was also spent East coast. So all the way up, uh, I was in Kings Bay, Georgia, all the way up to, um, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, essentially all up and down the East coast. Okay. So you, um, you grew up in Philly mm -hmm. and then, um, is, and then from there you joined the Navy. Yep. Yep. Okay. And yeah. then um I I do know some of your uh some of your background since since you mentioned Navy. Let's actually get into that because that's a lot of your formative years, correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. For good or bad. That's yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. And and you were in the Navy for how long? It was a it was total of 10 years. I had kind of a different career. I was active duty, then I was reserves, then I was recalled to go to Afghanistan, then I was active duty, and then I was out. So I was kind of in and out of the Navy for, for a total of 10 years. Wow. Okay. Okay. And then within the Navy, that's how you really ultimately got into kind of the tech space and even security, right? Yeah, for sure. So started at the Naval Academy. I did this thing called Trident Scholar, which was basically it's like five people a year get to do this research. Mine was in computer. So I was a computer science degree and I got to do some like authentic. I, my, don't read my thesis, but basically it was authentication protocol kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, then I joined the submarine force. So as a submarine officer, so I've, you know, I've got to learn to operate a nuclear reactor, something about radiation is bad for you, et cetera, et cetera. Then, uh, when I was on the sub, I got to be the radio, uh, communications officer and who's also the like crypto officer. Uh, so that kind of got back into, uh, so after a few years of like babysitting a nuclear reactor, kind of got back into doing like the communication security and stuff like that. Yeah. Which was fun. Um, I want to know more about this uh, this role that you had 
on board the sub because if I remember right, you were telling me a story um, about how you would do. Uh, you almost kind of made a it comical about how oh you yeah were shooting shooting missiles. What is what is that? Yeah about? yeah. Well, so, so I, was on a, I was on a Los Angeles class submarine, and uh, we had uh, so one of the missions of a submarines is, is tomahawk missile strikes, and so we routinely practice for tomahawk missile strikes. Yeah. So basically, you sit in the ocean, you wait for the order, and you, you shoot up, you shoot up a couple of missiles, and they go. And so you know, it's a, kind of a serious deal. You know, we've submarines have been involved from the Libya conflict to Iraq War. So I mean, yeah. we were just doing training, but uh, a lot of times it's super boring. It's like, basically the Navy likes to pretend. It's a bunch um, of grown men pretending to do stuff and you get paid sure. for it. So, uh, you know, we're, we're pretending to shoot Tomahawk missiles. And uh, so I'm just sitting there. I'm the comms guy. It's super boring. And I got, you know, this laptop open. I'm in this it's like Microsoft chat was the thing that we were using back then. So Microsoft chat has this mode where you can go to comic mode. And so you, instead of the boring IRC, you can switch it to comic mode. And what it does is just, it kind of like makes it into a comic strip and so, like the you know, now it's a dog talking to a cat, talking to an alien. And so, except what our what ours was was is like our you know our submarine talking to the squadron, and it was like the squadron was like shoot tube thirteen, and but it was a dog telling the cat to shoot tube thirteen, and the cat was saying shoot tube thirteen I, and all this stuff. But it was is so I yeah. thought this was hilarious. Uh, so it was entertaining me. But then uh, the captain walked by, and he just like blew his lid. I mean, he was like what. What is going on? Why is a dog telling the cat? Why is our squadron commander an alien? And I tried to yeah. explain to him, like, no, sir, it's all, it's all client side. Like, they can't see this on the server. It's just the client. He didn't, he didn't really get computers. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So I, after that, I had to give, I had to make sure that no one either mistakenly or on purpose changed the Tomahawk strike chat to comic mode. Uh, that's that's definitely pretty funny um but these this was just practice right you weren't this one this is only practice. yeah well, the, the navy does you do a lot of you spend a, i spend a lot of my life looking at the tops of waves and looking at a reactor that's not going to go anywhere yeah. and uh you pretend like there's a fire you pretend there's a radio you know radiological accident you pretend all this stuff and then you do all these drills but largely it's uh it's one percent excitement it's 99 percent boredom basically yeah yeah any of the excitement that you can uh, talk about? Yeah, we did. I mean, so I got to do some pretty cool stuff. I, the sub I was on sailed around the world. So we left Rotten, Connecticut. We went through all the way uh, to the Med, through the Suez Canal. We pulled in Goa, India. Then we did around India. We went to Singapore. We went to then Okinawa. We went to Yokosuka, Japan, uh, Hawaii, back through the Panama Canal, back through the Caribbean, back home. So that was a seven-month wow. deployment. Uh, super, super fun. I was 27 at the time. And this was like, uh, yeah, this was, that was one of the, I mean, honestly, it was one of the best times of my life. Um, then I was sent to Afghanistan as a submarine officer yeah. just to make sure that the Taliban didn't develop a submarine force. So I, I was successful in that part. Uh, nice other job. parts of our, yeah, other parts of our Afghanistan things are not going so well, but they won't, they won't develop a submarine force things. Yeah. At least, at least they don't have subs. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I, I did my part. You're the you're the one person that definitely right. was successful over there. Well, that's that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, yes, that's pretty funny. So, how did you? Let's talk about um, how you actually got into um, security, though, as a part of being in the Navy. Um, yeah. Like how how did that come about? Yeah. So the Navy now actually has lot is dedicating to like the cyber. I mean, as, as people probably aware, a lot of cyber resources. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, they have to use the buzzword, buzzword cyber. 
Uh, but if you look past that, you know, that's the Navy is really committed to that. In fact, the Naval Academy, I, mean, I went back to the Naval Academy just a year ago before COVID and they have a whole cyber division. So none of that existed when I was there. Uh, it was definitely not a thing. I kind of, um, the, <laughs> the, the, I'm sure now it's on submarines and ships, the cybersecurity is much more uh, improved than yeah. it was when I was in. So that wasn't really, a. It definitely wasn't a focus. Um, but when I left the Navy the first time, uh, after a brief stint of helping design instrumentation and control systems for nuclear reactors, I ended up working for a defense contractor that was essentially building some of the crypto equipment that I used on the sub. So, I mean, that one was obviously uh, like my my first kind of professional, uh, it was like AppSec, uh, hardware sec, uh, like a lot of embedded development in, in, in software uh, security for sure. I'm going to show my lack of smarts here. Are subs connected to the internet? They are. I mean, that, I mean, yeah. So that's okay. I mean, the, the most common questions I get are actually before that. It's like, where does the poop go? How do people eat? And how do you get oxygen? But if we want well, to jump to how the subs I'm, are connected, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking, like, um, yeah. in in terms of security, I I guess uh -huh. I just always assumed they're completely like disconnected from the world. But uh -huh. I, I never thought about it. I, yeah. So I mean, it's no. I mean, so like, uh, I mean, let's take the the thing that's that everyone's talking about, which is the Starlink. Uh, the Starlink um, satellite connections, right? So, I mean, oh. I mean, basically, you can have TCP/IP over over uh, satellite connections. So, uh, I mean, that's not. Uh, I mean, I don't think I'm telling any government secrets yeah. to, to to say that satellites are being used by the military. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should cut this out just in case. We might. I mean, I, that's okay. <laughs> I think we're. <laughs> I think we're okay. I'm pretty I'm sure uh, if we can Wikipedia, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. so okay, so you were in the Navy for ten years, uh -huh. and then. Um, and then what? So you got out, you worked yeah, for what a I got out, contractor? Before that, I worked for three months trying to design nuclear reactor instrumentation control equipment. Okay. And that one was uh, like going from a race car driver to driving uh, like a toy uh, Tonka truck. Oh. I mean, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of nuclear power, but that industry moves in decades, not in days. So at that one, I just couldn't, I just couldn't sit still and do that job. So then, yeah, so then I worked for a defense contractor. Uh, but doing that, I actually re kind of like rejoined the Navy as part of the reserves. Uh, so I was doing a defense, con I was at a defense contractor, then also doing the one week in a month, two weeks a year gig. Uh, that was a pretty epic time. I was, get I got to go to the European command headquarters in Stuttgart, Germany. So I'd go there and then like have weekends in Belgium at the Belgian beer festivals. And then I would hike around nice. Germany and stuff. Yeah. So that was super fun. But then I had, then there's karma, right? So I had to pay for that. So then while I was working at the defense contractor, I got recalled to go to Afghanistan. So oh. then I, I went to help the uh, counter IED. And basically, I was helping them with jammers uh, to prevent uh, IED with uh, with the EOD divisions over there. Yeah. How did that work? Let's talk about that. They're, they're very effective if you turn them on, the jammers. Uh, okay. So, so uh, I mean, what I what I was doing was essentially training. I, there was a few things. It was supposed to be a year and a half that ended up only being there for four months due to a bureaucratic error, which is a whole story in of itself. But basically, one of the things I did was help train Army, uh, they're called electronic warfare specialists, to basically the fundamentals of RF, um, like energy, how do, you know, radio, how does radio work? How does a jammer work? How, did, how do these things uh, like work and how do they protect you? So it was kind of like a very crash course uh, on uh, essentially uh, RF jamming. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing with, with kind of that role, is it safe to say that, you know, you successfully, I suppose, 
helped some of those people like i don't know save yeah. lives yeah if I, well yeah if i'm not, if i'm not going to be my cynical self i mean for sure so that i mean that's the i mean the the purpose of it was to uh i mean so uh, so not everybody i mean so the, you know the military i i'm it does a great thing in that it takes 18 to 20 year olds it gives them an opportunity to kind of do a lot of advanced training and get everything Right. Problem is not a lot of these uh, 18 to 20 year olds are necessarily experts in like physics or, you know, they're joining the army because they want to do army things. Yeah. And sometimes they're getting told, oh, by the way, you're going to be the like radio comms expert. <laughs> they may not have studied in high school physics or even taken high school physics. So uh, in order to kind of, in order to use this equipment, it was like best to have a kind of understanding of what it's trying to do at a, a basic level. So that, so that was kind of the, the mission over there was to help train these guys so that they knew Hey, when we're out here and we're dealing with these IEDs, uh, you know, what is a threat? What techniques do we have to defend against it? How do these things work there? Yeah. 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 That's very cool. So then how did you find your way to Colorado? So that was largely my wife's doing. Uh, she is a, a physician. And so uh, not many people know how the physician world works, but you actually don't get to pick really where you get to move. So, th- so out of the first 10 years we lived together, I think we only lived together for two, either result of her school we got married right after college and then okay. either her, her training or me being in the navy we hardly lived together and so that's because anytime you switch from residency to fellowship you basically you don't get to pick uh, you put in a request and then it's like a ranking system it's like a harry potter sorting hat kind oh. of thing so you don't actually get to pick where you have to go you get told and so um she was, she was fortunately on the east coast but eventually she got the pick and then we she uh, is now working uh, up here at uc health but um, you know, she we went on here. We'd never been to Colorado. We looked at the place and we're like, this is it. Let, let's, let's, uh, man, there's no reason for us to be on the East coast. I mean, our family's still there, but there was no job tying us to the East yeah. coast. So we're like, let's come out here. Yeah. That's fascinating. I had no idea that you, you don't get to pick where you, where you go. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, they call it, they call it the match. So it's like you put in it's, I mean, you actually don't even get to pick what field of medicine you, I mean, so like you could say like, you could want to be a surgeon. And so this is dated and I'm, my, you know, my wife's a physician, not I, so I could be getting a lot of this wrong, but, you know, essentially you would say, Hey, I want to be a surgeon. And they're like, well, you can't be a surgeon at Penn, but you can be a, uh, like children's, uh, um, like psychologist at this, this hospital. Right. So there's, okay. there's, there's two things they're sorting. They're sorting the program and they're sorting, I think the type of doctor you can be. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's really less, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting it's a very, very stressful time because you've yeah. she interviewed at like 11 places across the country. And then you, you just, it all falls into uh, uh, like, how do they rank you? How do you rank them? Yeah. Well, you got pretty lucky. I mean, um, we did, Colorado yes. and, and um, particularly up North where, where you guys are at in Fort Collins. Um, there's a lot worse places. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, fortunately, yeah, UC Health. Uh, worked out really well for her, and uh, yeah, we we we've been up here since you know seven years. Uh, that's kind of when I started uh, doing cryptotronics. Is when we moved out here, and uh, yeah, Fort Collins is is great. It's got a. We both lived in big cities, and Fort Collins is a nice small college-ish town. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a nice. We then the, the the being apart from your wife kind of thing also doesn't help to having kids. So unsurprisingly, now we have two daughters. Uh, yeah, once we're out here, yeah, <laughs> right on, right on. Well, let's, um, you know, so, so you got into the industry, obviously in the Navy, but then, mm-hmm. um, then you left Navy, you, you eventually found your way here to Colorado. Um, you're, uh, 
you're really a, a serial entrepreneur when I when I look at all the different things you have going on. Is that safe I try to a lot say? of things? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's let's talk through some of this because some of this okay. fascinates me. Um, so there's three different companies you've got going uh-huh. on, at least three. Um, <clears throat> which uh, so you've got Cryptotronics. Yep. You've got Key Labs, and you've got yep. Advanced Security. Yes. Which one of these do you want to talk about first? <laughs> yeah, so it depends on what hat. I got I just have to go get a different hat for each company. Then maybe maybe, the different maybe let's let's talk about Cryptotronics first. Okay, yeah, that was the first one. So that one, uh, basically, what I do with that company is we do embedded security consulting. So I am essentially ninety eight percent doing an embedded device. Uh, security. So if you don't know what embedded device security is, you might know as IoT security, um, but hardware, uh, software, firmware uh, for essential physical things. And so uh, it's it's myself and I've got two, uh, two employees, two other engineers. And, you know, for the last seven years, we've really been consulting, contracting for people who are trying to build devices that want some extra security. So um, this typically is something like they want to do secure boot, and unlike uh, Windows or Linux, Secure Boot is different for every chip that you have to do. So we have to build some of this stuff in. They may want to use special cryptographic um, uh, chips, and some of those require domain knowledge and stuff like that. So these are the kind of like drivers. We we also do a lot of um, like hardware security pen tests. So I get a lot of devices where it's like, okay, try to, you know, you know, a lot of times that for a software pen test, they'll be like, oh, the hardware is out of scope. Hardware is out of scope. Basically, I do a lot of the stuff where the hardware is not out of scope. Because it's physically in someone's hands, and then what can you do with it yeah. when the hardware's in scope? Yeah. yeah. So this this kind of reminds me of, um, or I guess uh, the way I'm I'm thinking about this. This is kind of the evolution ultimately of what you were doing in the Navy, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, I've always the you know starting in the Navy really kind of got into more electronics. I mean, I was I did like ham radio and uh, any. To be a naval officer, you have to take electrical engineering, for example. So I had to take, and then I had to take it again in power school. So I had I mean, computer science by degree, but you have to take a lot of electronics and and uh, electrical engineering classes in the in the navy. Yeah. And then, yeah, the defense contractor, I made little black boxes, and then this is now I can make little black boxes that I can talk about a little more. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And, and so your customer base. For, for this company, Cryptotronics. Mm. Is this like the Department of Defense? Is this like some of the contractors that do business there or what? Generally, so yeah, we haven't done any government work. Largely it's because okay. I don't really like the paperwork. Um, oh yeah, yeah, I can <laughs> I mean, imagine. It's, it's, I've been going, I've been going, my whole career has been going from more paperwork to less paperwork. Yeah. Uh, so that's smart. So I, yes, yeah. So, uh, but uh, you know, so it ends up being a lot of industrial uh, so, I mean, a lot of people want to, you know, the, the make the jokes about the IoT kind of uh, environment. And a lot of consumer IoT, you know, definitely has that sense. It's like, why do I need to see what's in my fridge? Yeah. Right. But when you start to getting to industrial IoT, uh, there's a lot of things that really make sense from a business automation point of view when you have fleets of devices or uh, sensors that are hard to access. Um, so these are the kind of things that, uh, like, I think IoT adoption is happening uh, a lot more than just the like I need more beer, please order it for me. Right, right. Well, I do need more beer, so hopefully. I mean, I mean, I would take that. That would, I mean, that would, <laughs> I mean, Drizzly. I mean, there's some local security people here that do uh, Drizzly. I think, yeah, right. So, I mean, that could they could they should add the webhook, put the thing in your fridge, order the more beer with Drizzly, get it delivered to you. Yeah, there you go. That's funny. Well, let's talk about the next one. So the the next company you've got going on is is something called Key Labs, mm-hmm. and I think yeah. your your website is Wallet.fell. Yeah. 
So yeah, so wallet, so we so key labs is basically what we've done with two other partners, Dmitry Anita Spasov and Thomas uh, Roth. Yeah. And with that, we we gave a present. So I've done a few presentations at DefCon, CCC, Hope, Black Hat. And uh, one of the ones at CCC that we gave was basically we took we looked at cryptocurrency hardware wallets. So uh, yeah, so this this is a trigger warning for people that don't like cryptocurrency. I'm going to be talking about cryptocurrency, uh, but uh, w- the way it works is you know you've got uh, in order to basically make a transaction on the blockchain, you have to sign something with a private key. And the idea, the general idea is, well, if you do it on your phone or your laptop or whatever, that's not secure. So let's move it into hardware where we know all know hardware is secure. Yeah. So they make a custom device to do this. And then we looked at some of the problems with uh, with doing with doing that. And one of which we basically can showed how to do a complete break of uh, if, if basically if you had the disk device, we could uh, essentially recover the, the private key from doing a what's known as a glitching attack on yeah. the device. So so how often do you do you do that? Do you help like recover wallets? Do you? Yeah. So the, thank you for asking. I do not recover wallets. I get oh, okay. so so I just so this is good. I'm glad you're asking because I get an email probably once or twice per week of someone asking. So I mean this is so I I uh, I you know I, I like some aspects of cryptocurrency. Right. Yeah. So there's some things I think that are positive. We don't have to get into it so so that everyone doesn't shut off the podcast. But there are some aspects that I do like. However, uh, because of this talk, and I, I routinely get, I've lost my pin. I can't access my wallet. Can you do this recovery? I do not. I do. I do not do recovery of pins. So That's right. Uh, yeah, you jogged. You jogged my memory because um, when we first talked about this, what was actually in the news was that um, yes. the person that that I don't know had lost one hundred eighty yeah. million dollars of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and yeah, you were telling me that um, that's not what what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, that one. Yeah. So I'm, I, I, I kind of hope Bitcoin goes down a bit just so I get, I personally get less emails about people asking me to recover because it's basically it's proportional with how high Bitcoin is. Yeah. So Bitcoin's almost at 60 K now. And then everyone's emailing me back when it was at 20 K I had lived a nice quiet life where no one was asking me to recover their wallets. Yeah. So, um, it, it, the thing, the thing I'll say is that that talk we've, we disclosed everything. So you could do it yourself. There's, there's nothing I'm holding back. It's just that I do not do this yeah. as a paid service. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very funny. So, are you a um, um, a, a cryptocurrency guy yourself? Do you uh, do you invest uh, in some of these coins? So I, I do. To be to be full disclosure, I have basic. I have like a, a, what's called is like um, I, I just have like a small amount. Like I don't. I basically got rid of all my personal position in cryptocurrency. I, I personally, although I'm a fan of it, and I think there's good aspects to it. I think it's kind of overvalued at uh, at the price it is now. So I do. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, okay. Anything else notable or interesting to share about Key Labs? Yeah. No. That, that that's that's essentially yeah. That's essentially the Key Labs equals cryptocurrency is kind of the the short yeah. answer with that one. So yeah. we do we do all the consulting stuff through, through that one. Your blockchain consulting company. Yep. That's right. That's right. Your final company is Advanced Security. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this company and how did this come about. Yeah, so advanced security again. It's the same kind of group that I was working with uh, with Key Labs. What we uh, essentially that's a it's a hardware security training company, and that the kind of and there's there's a bunch of those, um, but the kind of difference that we think we bring is that we really jumped on the kind of streaming online training uh, thing as that happened uh, with COVID nineteen. So you know we were supposed to give uh, Dimitri and I were supposed to give a in person private training for a private client like April of last year. 
And as things kind of developing was clear, like this isn't going to work. And then we're like, all right, let's try it. Let's try it online. And, uh, you know, since then we built basically our own streaming platform. Um, so, I mean, I have, uh, I mean, we were chatting before this podcast, but I've got like the streaming lights, I've got the camera, I've got overhead cameras, I've got HDMI switchers. And uh, we do hardware security training in a way where you can see it. Like it's, it's more of like a Twitch stream than it is uh, like a Zoom call. So when a student is taking our classes, they see an HD, full HD recording uh, or, or live stream rather. And uh, they can interact with the chat and they will see top-down cameras that are oscilloscope has an HDMI out. So we're, we're really trying to mix in a bunch of different uh, video feeds uh, and kind of like really focus on uh, online hardware uh, security training. Have you noticed that that's, that's uh, I guess, picked up the um, kind of the, the online virtual training uh, now, obviously with, uh, with kind of quarantine and COVID and. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think any training, I mean, so the thing is, you know, companies have training budgets and they, and they also have uh, like, they're, they're constantly hiring. So, I mean, yeah. largely, you know, I mean, fortunately to the technology industry, we know largely wasn't, you know, I mean, it was one of the in- industries that, I mean, every, everybody was effective, but I mean, uh, it was one of the industries that could obviously adapt some better than some of the un- other industries. So I don't, I don't think from a training point of view, there's still demands that have to be met by companies to get their employees trained. So, um, and then with lack of, I mean, certainly with a lack of a physical uh, in presence, I mean, uh, I mean, that's kind of what we saw as the opportunity is they kind of take this online. Yeah. Do you ever see in-person training um, kind of, returning to to what it used to be so i i think it will uh i mean so i I think there's going to be so i I think two things about this so i think so i think so for sure people are going to want to do in-person training i also don't think online training or online or hybrid remote work is going to go away and so i think what i mean the kind of i i kind of believe that like that joke that's kind of like everyone sees on like linkedin and facebook is like who led your digital transfer transformation is you know a b or c and c is COVID 19 yeah um so uh i mean i think there's lots of benefits to i mean so there's lots of benefits to doing the um the training in this format both for the students and the instructors so the students the thing is like you can be watching the recording or the the, the stream and then you can pause so we, you know you can pause the stream so if someone you know you got to go to get amazon or ups signature you can pause come back if there's something you missed uh, you can rewind it so these are things that you can't do in an in-person class now the the, the downside is that obviously that you ha- you kind of have to you know manage your own time manage your own uh like uh kind of focus and concentration but i mean we've all had a year to basically practice that so i think a lot of the and then it, with hardware what typically comes up is like how do you do this with hardware how do you how do you look over someone's shoulder and and see that they're plugging the wires the right way and a lot of it was we just adapted to uh you know focus on uh hardware where that is easier to do and because of that kind of camera setup i was mentioning before you, know, you, you the students almost can see what we're doing uh, even better because now I can zoom in uh, with a microscope and zoom in and see a chip where, you know, you wouldn't be able to see that before. You can see the oscilloscope screen uh, instead of being huddled over a table. So there's lots of benefits, I think, to actually doing it online versus in person. Yeah, yeah, that's great points. So what is, uh, what's next um, for for you and um, I'm guessing the, the fourth company you'll eventually create? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I I think for now, yeah. So for now, there's no uh, there's there's no fourth one in the mix. No. Uh, I did try to, uh, I mean, I, I I've there was uh, I watched a lot of block sales list last weekend. I was thinking of some pirate company, 
that maybe you could do. But unfortunately, there's a lot of legal repercussions to doing pirate companies. But I highly recommend that show, Black Sales. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, we're uh, uh, those those threes are keeping me pretty busy. Uh, I, I think the trading is, uh, I mean, especially with that format, I really have liked doing that. Um, fortunately, there is a lot of, uh, I think the IoT, as the IoT stuff keeps picking up, there's a lot more to do with security. Um, and I think that's getting more attention. Uh, so I think that's going on. And, and like I said, the cryptocurrency thing, as long as it's that, the amount of inquiries we get in that is directly proportional to the price of Bitcoin. Right. So, right. yeah. And then uh, we should mention, so Advanced Security, um, your website is advancedsecurity.training, right? That's right. Okay, perfect. Uh, make sure we get that uh, that plug in. Um, we've got just a little bit more time. Um, I know that you're involved in something uh, called Engineer in Residence. I want to get to this oh, yeah. before we run out of time. Tell me what this is. And um, yeah, how, how did you get involved? Yeah, so this is a, a super cool program that CSU is doing up here in Fort Collins, and it's with the local IEEE chapter that kind of started it up. And essentially what the idea is, is they get, uh, so it's not necessarily security related, it's more like electronics related. Um, but what they do is they get, um, they've gotten kind of, because, uh, you know, HP is up here and um, yeah. uh, Agilent and, key, you know, so, so there's some big electronics company up here. And uh, they're essentially what the idea is you get these kind of industry uh, professionals to kind of go pre-COVID, we would go to CSU and we would sit in their like electronics lab and we would help mentor uh, undergrad um, computer engineering students. And so they would come in either with their like a uh, project or the CSU um, undergrad students have to do a full year long project. So they, their last culminating year is this, is this giant engineering project where they got to work on a team and build something and we would help me uh, mentor them. And so, uh, you know, just like everything else, COVID hit, and then we just do that online now. Uh, but like the the group I'm mentoring now is just happens to be uh, cybersecurity related. There's these two uh, students who are doing this vehicle cybersecurity study of trying to do machine learning for uh, on vehicle uh, like CAN bus kind of data to do uh, intrusion detection. So they've got a really cool project, uh, and essentially they meet with me. Uh, like I think it's like once a quarter, we kind of do like a check in, a status update. I give them ideas. I give them some like, hey, this is this is what work in the industry that wouldn't maybe should look in this direction or not. And uh, so this is going on uh, all throughout there. Like there's a basically an equivalent of me paired up to, to every team at CSU. So it's a super cool program that uh, the IEEE uh, chapter here is doing. Yeah, that's very cool. How did you get involved with that? I think, I, so I was on the IEEE mailing list, you know, just like I'm an IEEE member. Uh, and okay. so somehow... You know, they put out this call and I was like, oh, you know, that, you know, I, I remember, I mean, so I remember, so like I said, I was computer science when I was an undergrad and despite me, I mean, I call myself an engineer now, but when I went to undergrad, I actually had no idea. I didn't know what an engineer was. So yeah. um, like to have somebody, there's a really big disconnect, I think, between academic uh, engineering and then what is actually done. And so this, if someone was to like come back to me as an undergrad and be like, oh, this is what you do as an engineer, this is what an electronics engineer does. And then that would have just like, I mean, I, I mean, if someone just spent five minutes telling me that, I mean, I would have clarified a lot of questions I had. So, I mean, I thought this was a pretty cool way to kind of like share some of that experience. As we look towards the future, you know, um, you're, you got a lot of different kind of areas that you specialize in uh, relative to security. What's, what do you kind of see as the next five, 10 years and how the industry and, and where things are going to change? What's, you know, how are you viewing that? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think to a large degree, I mean, there's, 
I mean, so there's a couple things. And one is that there's like the, the, one of the reasons I like security is that there's always this constant change, right? So it's, it's uh, the attacks are always getting better and the defenses are getting better. And there's it's this constant cycle of changing it. So, so to a large degree, I don't really see any difference in, in that. It's the only thing that really changes is the, is the technology and the technique. Mm-hmm. But basically for, you know, uh, I mean, so it's, you know, the started off like web security was horrible. You could do all these easy things. And then that spins, that gets more mature, that eventually kind of plateaus. Uh, the attacks get more sophisticated, they get more sophisticated, and then they actually get more, they get, they get more damning to a way, right? So, because they, uh, you know, the more sophisticated attack, the more damage it can do. And I think it's just, that just rotates to every new industry. So internet of things security uh, is, uh, you know, as everyone kind of thinks it is, is definitely lagging as far as maturity, uh, as far as like some of the cloud security, but there are, there's improvements in that as well. So, I mean, I mean, I think um, th- that's where I spend a lot of my time is on the embedded side. I think that is going, the def- defenses are going to get better there, but also then the, we're going to go through another cycle, the tech's getting better. And then it's just, I mean, that, that's the, that's to, to cynically summarize the security industry. I think that's that's it's always in a constant churn of, yeah. of responding in, to these attacks. Yeah. Yep. Jobs are always going to be there. That's kind of yeah, how I, mean, I see I, it too. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't. I mean, the funda- I mean, like the fundamental problem is that you know the computers that we're using are general purpose computers that are Turing capable and can do they can do whatever computation you give them. So yeah. the fact that it tells you not to do something. Uh, I mean, it's it's only like a smoke and mirrors game to prevent you from doing. I mean, like the hardware is capable of doing anything, yep. and so this is that's kind of one of the reasons I'm interested in the hardware because it's. I mean, if you, that's where I think you start with the security foundation. Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. Well, any final thoughts for the uh, Colorado Equal Security community? I know that you're you're on the Slack channel now, which is awesome. Yeah, thank um, you for that. Yeah, Just yeah. What do, you, what do you uh, <laughs> what do you think of it? And yeah, final thoughts. Yeah, I mean this. This is. I mean, it's kind of impressive. Uh, I mean, I mean, I think I joined, and then it, it, the one of the reasons I kind of faded out of it because it actually got so big. I mean, which is both. I mean, it's both a blessing and a curse, right? I mean, it's it's pretty impressive to see the. I mean, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, in Colorado, uh, I mean, like you would think, like you know, these other hotspots would kind of, which I won't won't name to give them any uh, credit, but yeah. you, you other ones would come there. But I mean, it's pretty impressive to see that this is kind of the nexus for the security industry. Uh, kind of, I mean, I, it, I think there's a growing, I'd like to see obviously more hardware security people, more embedded, uh, but there's the operational security channel, uh, which I think is where everyone's hanging out. Who's got, uh, some electronics kind of background. So I, I, it, you know, it'd be nice to always see more of that kind of si- side of security. It's just from a personal bias, but I mean, yeah. it, it is a pretty impressive uh, group that you all have um, been meeting to grow. Yeah, very cool. And I'm definitely uh, definitely glad you joined me today and that you're a part of it. How do people uh, find and follow you on social media? Yeah, so LinkedIn is kind of the one that I am. So I'm just Josh Datko on LinkedIn. Uh, that's the kind of one that I, I do. I'm pretty, I try to be pretty active. I do, I do like short little five minute security. Uh, they're like non-markety kind of just like, what is uh, this hardware security concept? I did, so that I'm there. Cryptotronics.com is that one. Key Labs and then Advanced Security Training. Yep, and you have your own YouTube channel, or is it the companies? Yeah, basically, I do. Yeah, I'm not. I, I despite me doing streaming, I, I don't consider myself a YouTuber. So all the videos that I do end up back on Cryptotronics.com. If you want to oh, see, okay. Uh, okay, yeah. So we have a we do a Vimeo, but I, 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 I uh, yeah, I, YouTube. I, it's I think I'm a little too old for the for the fun of YouTube uh, at this point, but yeah. <laughs> Well, Josh, thanks for joining me today. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been super fun. Thanks for having me. That concludes my interview with Josh Datko. 
Be sure to follow and support Colorado Equal Security on Patreon. This is Jason Jake saying, be safe out there. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equal Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.